The Online Marketing Show. Every day with Joseph Bushnell. Helping you to grow your online business by driving more traffic, improving conversion rates, increasing customer value, and getting things done fast. Listen, take action, make money. Hi, welcome to the Online Marketing Show. This is Joey Bushnell. Today's special guest is marketing psychologist Dr. Glenn Livingston. Go to glennlivingston.com to find out more. Glenn, thank you so much for coming on the show. Oh, it's my pleasure. I was looking forward to it. Glenn, how did you get into marketing? Um, well, I never really thought I was going to be a marketer growing up. I, my parents are um, psychotherapists, psychologists from a family of 17, and I think it's now 20 therapists, psychologists, counselors, social workers, psychiatrists, um, talk, help people by talking to you kind of family. And I thought I was just going to do that. But what always kind of bugged me was that you wind up affecting a very small corner of the world like that. And I didn't want to be the 17th, 18th, 18th Dr. Livingston to affect his small corner of the world. Not that that's a really bad thing to do. I think being a small country doctor is a, you know, it's a noble profession. But I just, I had a yearning to do more and I wanted to have an impact on a broader level. And, um, you know, I guess I wanted to make a little more money than, than a local doctor might make. Mm-hmm. Um, and so long story short, I married a marketer and she was also, you know, pursuing psychology and she, um, introduced me to, um, corporate consulting while I was, while I was going through graduate school. She was doing focus groups for, Lipton and AT&T and Helene Curtis and Panasonic and all of those, you know, big, big guy, big companies. And basically they would be asking her, well, we really need to get at the underlying emotions for why these people respond to this advertising. And we know we can't ask them directly. You can't say, well, you know, Hey, do you use the American Express card instead of Visa? Because, you know, we have a platinum card and it makes you feel better about yourself or it, you know, gives you more status and they'd look at you and say, well, are you an, are you an idiot? I just use it for the financial benefits. But yet everybody knows in, in the advertising world that that's not really why they use it. And, you know, there are all these studies that showed that, um, you could look at the functionally equivalent brands, but people had a clear preference for one over the other, depending upon their, um, depending upon the psychological attachment that they had to the brand, the image, the mood and tone, the brand personality, if you will. And so Sharon was involved in doing that. And what would happen was she would do it in a very artful, soulful, beautiful way with these very deep discussions you might have, you know, at a coffee house in the 1960s. (laughs) And, and, and then it would get up to higher management and they would say, well, depending upon the company, some companies were okay with that, but some companies would say, well, no, we really need hard data. I'm not going to make a $50 million advertising decision based upon this coffee house discussion. I really want to see what happens when you ask a thousand people in a more structured way. Mm-hmm. And then that would take us back to having to ask people directly. And that's where I came in. I, I had learned in graduate school how to, um, I, I was asked to teach uh, a, a laboratory about modeling human behavior and predicting it without asking people directly. And I, 
I figured out how to get the soul into the machine. I figured out how to quantify the studies that she was doing and get those companies their big hard data. And um, that's how I got into marketing. Um, I'll try to make this shorter, <laughs> but but it um, the lifestyle overwhelmed me. I, I wasn't really cut out for the boardroom. And you know, for example, they once asked me to fly to Tokyo for a one-hour meeting in the airport to coordinate a multinational study, and I actually did that and flew back. And then I had bronchitis for three months when I got back, and that was pretty much when I said to myself, you know, this is not for me. Or or, or you'd spend a year working really hard on a project, and then um, I remember that we did it with a project for a year for Bausch and Lomb. They paid us a million dollars for it, and it all got kind of got boiled down to a one-page summary. And the CEO looks at it and goes, eh, I don't think so. <laughs> so, um, so I, I moved towards, I moved towards doing more, um, more of my own publishing and applying the research protocols that I developed to the internet for myself, kind of proved it out in a bunch of markets. Gosh, it's almost 10 years ago as Google AdWords was just opening up and, um, you know, and then, Kind of went, it kind of went forward from there. I started teaching it. I developed an agency. I sold that agency. I did a lot of coaching. Um, and now I actually focus largely on teaching coaches how to, uh, how to get results for their clients and how to develop their practice. So how's that for a 42 minute answer to <laughs> how'd you get into this? That's great. Thanks for letting us know. What we're going to be talking about today, Glenn, is most website owners have a problem. When people come to their website, nothing happens. They just leave again. You've studied this and you know how to increase the response. You call it having hyper-responsive visitors. So we're going to be talking about a few of those things today, if that's okay. I wanted to start by asking, you have a golden rule which says that you sell distinct advantages to hyper-responsive customers using their buying language and emotional values and estimate your costs first. So could you tell us a little bit about these principles within your golden rule? Yeah. So let's um, let's talk about the concept of a distinct advantage first. And when I would work in the um, corporate world, mm-hmm. they used to talk about price of entry benefits versus point of difference benefits. And a price of entry benefit is what any product or service has to bring to market to even be considered in the running. Um, you kind of think of it like if you're making your short list of, um, you know, possible sneakers to buy or possible automobiles that you might consider, what things does every last one of them have to have before you, um, you know, before you even, even consider it? And so maybe that's, um, you know, in, in the economy car class, maybe that would be highway mileage over 40 miles per gallon, or maybe it might be, um, you know, maybe it might be a certain safety feature that, you know, is more or less standard these days. And those are all price of entry. They don't, you don't get on the short list unless you've got the price of entry benefits. But the thing that makes you buy, the thing that really makes you stand out separate and apart from all the other competitors is the point of difference benefits. And so maybe it, maybe this car has the highest high, highway miles per gallon, um, in its class. There's no other car that comes close or maybe it has the best safety record or maybe it has the most stable wheelbase or, um, I haven't shopped for a car in a long time. So I'm not as cognizant of the 
real points of difference right now. Um, but, but the idea is that price of entry benefits are things you need to know that and deliver upon in order to get onto the short list, um, to even be in the running. And then the point of difference benefit is what you really want to sell to your client to get them to choose you over anybody else in the, in the world. So that's what it means to sell a, a distinct advantage. The concept of the hyper-responsive buyer is a derivative of the 80-20 rule. And most people know the 80-20 rule on these, these lists, but just in case you don't, it's, um, it's also called the Pareto principle. And what it means is that 80% of your profits will usually come from 20% of your clients. Those numbers are not always exact, but there's a, there's a disproportionate profit that comes from a very small um, segment of your of your customer list, and you could actually turn that rule upon itself. So, you, if you looked at that top twenty percent, well, eighty percent of the profits within that should also come from twenty percent of that twenty percent. And without getting too geeky um, and or arguing about the numbers too much because they can be different, but the point is, is that if you use those principles, you should be able to isolate a very hyper responsive type of customer who can be responsible for as much as half your business. And actually on my website, I tell people that, did you know that half your profits are driven by just one out of every 2,000 visitors? Um, and the way you do that math is that if it takes 100 visitors to get a customer and um, and one out of every 20 customers is a hyper-responsive customer responsible for half your profits, then it really means that that one visitor out of 2,000 is the one that you're selling to. That, that one visitor out of 2,000 is going to be responsible for half your profits. And I'm, I'm using hyperbole a little bit, and, and I'm being dramatic to get people's attention to think about this, but it's it's a very important way of thinking because if you can isolate that hyper-responsive customer and research what they want, what um, language and concerns they have, what point of difference benefits are they really looking for, then everything else in the business tends to tends to come together. Um, you know, because they the hyper responsive company, customers usually lead the market. They're not only going to be responsible for half your profits, but they're going to kind of tell you what the rest of the market is going to want soon anyway. And so, you know, the golden rule is, you know, to sell the uh, distinct advantages to hyper-responsive customers using their um, their language uh, and emotional um, emotionally motivating purchase intent. So, um, you know, then it becomes about well, how how do you get there? How do you figure out what the hyper-responsive people are actually doing and what kind of clues do they leave and how do you research what they want? And uh, I don't know if you wanted to get into that afterwards, but um, have I have I satisfactorily explained that golden rule? Absolutely. And uh, that was my next question, Glenn. People talk all the time about market research to get to know your customers. But in real terms, specifically, what would you actually do to go through that process to find out that information? Okay. So the first thing that I tell people to do is to recognize that no matter what's going on the inter- on, no matter what's going on on the internet, it's still organized by keyword. The search engines, the social engines, they all have to have a way of knowing what is this page about, and you need to figure out where your keyword center is in your business. If there, if there were, 
just one word which represented the ultimate elevator speech for your business, if there were only one keyword search that you could advertise on, if you could only advertise on pages that were squarely about this word, what would it be? And one of the examples I use, you know, in the, in the club that I teach is, um, is emotional eating. And I, I like that as an example because it's, uh, it's not weight loss. Weight loss is really way too broad. I, I tend to encourage people to choose a, a segment of a competitive niche these days. Like way, way back when I used to encourage people to go for a very niche market, but I found that although that gives people the experience of cutting their teeth and, you know, having a little bit of success under their belt, they inevitably are frustrated if they can't scale the business. So I really prefer to guide people towards a, um, towards a segment of a hyper competitive market. And, and emotional eating is a good example because if you were to look at the keyword volume, you would find, you know, millions of people that are searching for weight loss and dieting every month. You'd find hundreds of thousands of people searching for overeating. And then you kind of get a little more specific and you look at binge eating or stress eating. And then when you get down to emotional eating, it's more like, you know, 20,000, 30,000, depending upon when you check the keyword tool and also what iteration of the keyword tool Google gives you now. They call it the keyword planner and they, um, I, I don't want to take a side tangent, but I think that Google tends to obscure some of the data. It's still the most useful tool out there, but they do obscure some of the data in order to generate higher prices on their auctions. That's another story. But what I want people to do is isolate a a bullseye keyword within a larger niche um, that they could say, this is really what my business is about. And emotional eating, besides the fact that the volume works, it also is beneficial to know that people are actually paying for those keywords. When you check the prices and the you know, Google traffic estimator, you can or the, the keyword planner, you can see that, um, you know, it's right around, you know, God, I haven't done it for a while, but it should be a little bit under a dollar right now. Um, so there are actually people that are paying for the keyword, and that means that advertisers are able to monetize those searchers. Um, and it has the quality that it could take people out of the broad segment and give them the perception that you are different, like, in emotional eating, we are not going to tell you how to lose 30 pounds in 30 days. We're going to tell you how to kill your cravings and make peace with food forever. And that's that's a really different claim, and it appeals to people who think, gee, maybe I am out of control because of emotional reasons. Um, and you could see how we wind up developing that business, by the way, at emotionaleatingsecrets.com. <laughs> so, so, so I tell people to figure out what that bullseye is, and there's a more sophisticated and, um, you know, spreadsheet-oriented way of determining the best keyword. But um, but once you do, then you need to start to look at what the competitors are doing on there. And it's amazing to me that I can't convince people to do this <laughs> because, um, you know, if, if you take let's, – let's stay with the example. Let's stay with the example of emotion leading. If I were to – do a Google search every day and night for 40 days, um, like Scheherazade or something. If I were to do a Google search and look at who is advertising above the fold on the pay-per-click ads um, day and night, I could compile a little database and what looks like hundreds of competitors would quickly become clear to me is really just 
a handful. They're just a handful that managed to show up above the fold consistently for 40 days. And uh, 40 days is a little more than a month. And the reason I choose that number is that it's after people get their credit card bills. And except for large brands, most companies will not continue to buy traffic if they're losing money on it. Um, and so you, this is not a perfect method, but it's a very reasonable estimate of who's winning the game on your keyword, who is winning the game on your, your keyword center. And there can be millions of dollars of advertising tests that have gone into how they won that game. You know, usually the people that are winning the game have done a lot of split testing if it's at all competitive market. And you can avail yourself of their findings and the millions of dollars of research that they've done for free, you know, absolutely for free. And by the way, if you don't want to log in every day and night, there are services out there that will do it for you for a, a low a low monthly fee. Um, and I, I tend to think it's worth the money, but I'm not here to promote them, so I'm not going to, to mention them at the moment. Um, but, but um, you know, and that, that's the first and foremost thing that I tell people to do is to isolate who's winning and now what message are they portraying? What, what are they – what are they using to get the market's attention? What happens in the landing page when you click there? What do they do after they get your email or after they get their first purchase? And you can really go to town now because you have a lot of confidence that these are the people who figured out how to win the game that you want to win. And, um, you know, for example, I happen to know that when I checked recently in the emotional leading market, the number one bidder is this site called Shrink Yourself. And what, what they get people's attention with is um, a little test. You know, t- take which of these 20 signs of emotional eating do you have? And they bring people to a page and they have a whole bunch of checkboxes. They don't even ask for email until you've taken the test. And, um, you know, what that tells me is that even if, even if I were going to be marketing offline, that tells me is that they figured out that the market for emotional eating are people who haven't necessarily determined yet that they're emotional eaters. They're trying to figure out if that could be the case. It's an appealing proposition. It's kind of an alternative hypothesis to, gee, I haven't found the right diet yet, is, you know, gee, maybe I'm too stressed out and that's the problem. And maybe there's a connection. And even if I were going to market offline, I would start my workshop out, my workshop out with a little, you know, pen and paper test that said, hey, are, are you an emotional eater? You know, could emotional eating solutions be helpful to you? And, um, you know, take this take this test of 20 things or 30 things and see if that's the case. So the, the point is that you get it all of that for free. You get it all that information. It's all been researched for you. You can figure it out. Um, if you use some of these services and you're researching a market that someone else has already researched using those services, then the data is available immediately. Otherwise, you do have to wait the 40 days to see what patterns emerge. But the, the patterns begin to emerge after a couple of weeks. So um, you can begin to isolate the sites and look at what you can. And you might want to compare the number one site to the number two site to the number three site and see what they're doing differently. And um, i got to tell you, I mean, I'm going to continue and, and explain to you another five or six things you can do to really go to town to get the right language for the market and, um, you know, isolate those point of difference benefits. But, but, um, 
in and of itself, if that's all you did, you'd be so far ahead of the majority of marketers who just kind of jump into a market. Um, you, you'd be able to know, see, do I have the resources to go into this market? Is the model that the people who figured out, is it something I can afford to do? Like, sure, I could figure out how, how to put together a little test. That's not a big deal. But what if they were inviting people to an in-person seminar in every city in the country? Do I have the resources to put that together or should I look for another bullseye keyword or another market? I agree. Most people just won't do that. It's quite an obvious thing in many ways, but people just don't do it. And it's a great method tying it in with all the keywords. That's really cool stuff. Well, yeah, because because now you know. Now, now you can save yourself years of testing and heartache. Now you know what's required to get into the market. And um, one of my mastermind partners beat this into my head. He said, Glenn, because I used to try to invent the way into the market. And he said, Glenn, well, why don't you just copy what's already working and make it a little bit different, um, but not a lot different, and then you can tweak it from there. So let's talk about the points of difference. How would you go about finding the points of difference that you have compared to the competition and then communicating that to the market as to why they should choose you and not your competitors? Okay. So a point of difference really represents a, the plugging of a market gap. What you're really trying to do is isolate a need, a strong need in the market that isn't really being addressed. And most people think that this is not possible in a very competitive market because there are so many players. Wouldn't all the needs be addressed? But what tends to happen is a, a kind of a function of marketing incest that everybody just copies each other. And, um, there's nobody that stands up and says, well, nobody really does the extensive research. And nobody stands up and says, hey, the emperor has no clothes. How come nobody is attending to, you know, X, Y, or Z? And there are a few places you can get at that. Um, the best way is to first put up a site, which you know will do okay, because even if you don't really have a point of difference, you know it's going to do okay because you've you've kind of mastered to what the winner is doing. And you've looked at things like you've gone over to Amazon.com and you've searched on your bullseye keyword. And then for the most relevant books that come up, and by the way, these days you have to look at both Kindle books and paperback books because they're slightly different audiences. Um, for the most relevant books, if you look at the reviews you and you – See, the reviews on Amazon are particularly valuable because what what people are looking to do on Amazon is solve problems by buying information. Mm -hmm. They're going to buy a book that solves their problems. And so if someone types in emotional eating and they see Janine Roth's, um, you know, break free from emotional eating, and then before they make a decision, they go in and they look at the reviews – and you, you look at some of the really good reviews and some of the really bad reviews. What Amazon will tell you is how helpful that review has been to people because the buyers are actually allowed to vote on how helpful the review was. And of course, what they don't say is the question really is how helpful is this to you in making a buying decision? And so now you can look at the really positive reviews and you could look at the really positive reviews, you know, four and five stars reviews that have been marked as extremely helpful by, you know, dozens, if not hundreds of people. And now you know that there's something in that review 
that help people to make a positive buying decision. And you can pull out those benefits. Um, I think in the example I'm giving you, you would find things like, um, gee, there is no diet that works for everybody and you don't have to follow these rules 100%. You just have to give it a try. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I didn't realize that I was, I was eating bagels whenever I was stressed, but, you know, upon reflection and reading this book, I saw that every time X happened, there was a bagel in my mouth. And there, there was all that kind of language you'd find in those reviews. And what you do is you spend a day digging through all the reviews, you pull out all that language, and you build a site that is kind of oriented around those types of comments. You can't plagiarize them, but um, you can, you know, turn them into bullets like, you know, discover why diets don't work and no particular nutritional guidelines are good for every particular person, you know, see why it's more important to understand the underlying principles than to follow the rules 100%. I'm just kind of spitting back what it said in the reviews. Mm-hmm. And so now you now you know you have something that really matches what the market wants to a certain extent. And if you can build a site around that and you have a couple of articles and maybe a couple of interviews and you know some some good content and then you can run people to an opt-in page and, and a good example of this might be at screwyourdiet.com, screwyourdiet.com. Um, you run them to an opt-in page like that and as part of the opt-in, you ask a couple of questions. Um, you know, one of the one of the important questions is, well, what's the most important reason you search for emotional leading today? Or um, please tell me unless you can about your emotional leading struggle. And you put a little checkbox underneath that says, um, 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 you know, please check this box if you're having an extremely difficult time finding a good answer to this problem. Well. Once you have a few hundred or even a few thousand people that have come through that site, now you can export the results into and any any autoresponder program that would collect that would let you export these results. You can export those results into a spreadsheet, and you could sort it by the uh, – this is a really easy way to do it, kind of a simplistic way is just sort it by the questions that um, people were having a hard time finding the answer to, and – then by definition, the questions that people are having an extremely hard time finding the answer to represent market gaps, and you're starting to be able to see what can you give to the market that they're not finding elsewhere. And that's one way you start to find the point of difference. You can also take into account the length of the question because, see, if if people are really having a hard time finding the answer and finding a good solution, they'll engage more with the survey. They will will give you a lot longer, more passionate answers, um, as opposed to, you know, just like a one word, one word answer that says, yeah, I'll take your stupid survey because I want your, your stupid ebook. <laughs> um, and so if you look within the questions that people are having a really hard time finding and you look at the longest, most passionate answers, that's where the strongest clues are going to be with regards to what the market might want that uh, you don't know that they that that no one else is really providing yet, and um, that's how you start to get at the the point of difference benefit. So, are you communicating this in your USP throughout your funnel in the sales copy, pretty much everywhere? Yeah, that becomes part of your platform. So, when someone lands on your webpage, what is the goal? Is it to get an opt-in generally, or are you trying to make a sale cold? What's your preferred goal there? Okay, so I am. My strength is relationship marketing. 
I, I really think that people would rather not go to the internet and type a whole bunch of words into a, into a Google search and click around in a bunch of sites and be frustrated and then have to go type something else and click it again. I, I think what they would like to do is to sit down with their favorite uncle or aunt and, who really knows their stuff about the problem they're talking about and pour their heart out and have their uncle or aunt provide the exact right, the exact right answer. And so it's not possible to do that online necessarily, but you can begin to replicate that if you can get them to engage with you um, and give you an email and tell you what's on their mind. And, and, you know, and then because you've done all this research and, you know, gee, people who have X on their mind also seem to have Y on their mind. Well, now it can seem like you're almost psychic because you can follow up with audios and interviews and cheat sheets and, you know, videos and even curated content to bond them to you over your time, over time and get, get them to see you as that favorite uncle or aunt. And I, I tend to choose projects where that makes sense. Um, I call them enthusiast markets. There are things that people tend to move towards rather than away from. And in almost every case, I've always done better by getting the opt-in, developing the relationship over time as opposed to, to going for the one-shot sale. I, I think that, you know, follow-up done well blows away the one-shot sale. It's just that's always been the case. The times that it doesn't necessarily work is when, A, you're in a transactional market. It's something people just want to get done with and away from. Um, an example I encountered was radon. Radon is not something people want to know about. They don't want to hear from you with your autoresponder for, you know, the next five years. They'd like to know enough to make a decision to buy their house and move on. Um, or, you know, may, maybe it's a, um, you know, how do you cure shingles? You know, people don't want to be reminded that they had shingles. <laughs> yeah. You know, they, 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 they want to get done with it. And, and in those cases, you want to, to go right for the sale. Mm-hmm. The other time you might need to go right for the sale is if the market is so competitive that people are just not really reading their emails um, or the cost of the um, or if the sale requires a lot more than just automated email and audio and video follow-up, if you really are going to need to get these people offline via telephone and direct mail, you might want to go for the sale right away just so you can ferret out the buyers from the non-buyers and then you still engage in the relationship follow-ups but only with the buyers. You know, so maybe you're going to sell them a, you know, a $10 download or something like that just so that um, you can say, hey, these people are serious and now I know I can afford to send out FedEx and put my tele- telephone sales guys on them and um, – you, then you still follow up in the same way that you might with an autoresponder, but um, you're doing it with more expensive media. And, um, you know, so if, if, if the sale is very hard to make online, then you might want to go for a, a very cheap sale that's easier to make so you can ferret out the buyers first. And if it's in an enthusiast market, then they don't mind hearing from us for a long time to come anyway, because we're now a source of new information to them, I guess. Yeah. You want to position yourself as the trusted advisor to help them accomplish a dream. Co- coaches 
there is no end to the coaching dream. You know, they first they want to get certified and then they want more training and then they want to learn more techniques and they want to figure out, well, why am I getting burned out? I have this fantasy of, you know, people coming to work with me 20 hours a week and they're all going to be these introspective, soul searching people. But I got a bunch of crybabies. How did that happen? How do I fix that? Um, and I, I can continue to come back to them with, um, with genuinely valuable advice and counsel to, to move them towards towards the dreams. And that's that's the position you want to be in. A mistake I made in that regards was I once tried to enter the anxiety market and I, uh, to help people with panic attacks, I actually had two of them, which were just god-awful, and I figured out how to solve it. And um, Sharon, my wife, suffered from them for a lifetime. And I thought it would be terrific to use this relationship marketing model to follow up with them. And that that really didn't work. I couldn't get them to read the emails. They 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 associated me with the panic attack, and it was like, oh, no, Dr. Glenn's in my email again. Last time I had to talk to Dr. Glenn, I was having a panic attack. So, you know, that's, that's something people want to get away from. That's the opposite of an enthusiast market. What is meant by the term life cycle of your market, and why is it important to know about it? Well, I mean, there are some, that's not something I talk about a lot necessarily, but, but there are some, some markets where people get all fired up to accomplish something. And if they don't accomplish it in four or five months, then they're no longer interested. Um, an example of that might be how to stop your divorce. People are in the midst of getting divorced and they and they can't solve the major problem in four or five months. The odds are that either they decided to get divorced or they just decided to live with the problem in the marriage. And it's only for you know several months after the initial event. Maybe there was an affair, it's usually an affair. But it's only for a few months after the initial event that people are really motivated to do something about it, and then they kind of get back into their old patterns or the relationship dissolves. Another example might be the typical um, business opportunity seeker. Mm-hmm. They tend to go th- they, they might go through this repeatedly, but there tends to be like four or five months of energy that they have. They put together some money, they've got this dream, they've got this idea. They're going to work harder for four or five months, and then they're going to get really dejected. Um, and, and ideally, you want to give them something that they can actually do and, and you know, make it work. And uh, you know, part of the ethical sense of being a marketer is selling people what they want, but then giving them what they need. And what people need is to develop a fortitude, fortitude to go through a multi-year process to really develop a, an actual business. But that's not really what people want. They want to get it done in a few months. So. From the marketing point of view, you need to know that in terms of when do you make the offers, how frequently do you communicate, and um, you know what do you tell them during that period. And then once you've got them, once you, once they've purchased, then you have to gradually inculcate in them the necessity for you know fortitude and stamina to to make it actually work. Would you also use that information for helping to increase the lifetime value of a customer? Let's say they do purchase something from you on the front end. Would you then be selling things to them afterwards too? Well, you always want to do that. You, 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 it's, it, um, but it will, it'll tell you when your window of opportunity for really 
doing that aggressively is going to expire. Most often, you need, like Yari Halbert says, you need to get people while they're in heat. And so it generally makes sense to make your best offers early on. And, um, you know, like I, I'm guilty of this also. Sometimes I just don't have the bandwidth to get all the backends and upsells installed. But, you know, you, you'll never install a one-click upsell that loses money. It's, it's impossible to add a one-click upsell that loses money. So the worst that's going to happen is only a few people will take it. But it only adds money, so you should always do it. Brilliant. Well, Glenn, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me today and for giving us so much good information. If we want to learn more about this topic and really make our visitors hyper-responsive, where can we go? GlennLivingston.com. There, there are two ends in my name, by the way, G-L-E-N-N, Livingston. Without it, there's no e, at the, no e at the end, so it's um, it's not stone, it's stun. So it's GlennLivingston.com. And that will take you to a page which will allow you to get a whole bunch of um, free audios and videos and cheat sheets, and um, you can actually experience the kind of relationship marketing that I'm an expert in. Um, and you will have a hard time not noticing the hyper-responsive club once you get in there. Um, the only caution that we give people is that this is a club – this is kind of a hardcore club. It's for people who are very serious about their marketing. Um, it's a it's a no no nonsense, no um, you know no no prairie poop kind of kind of approach. And it's also a left brained approach. It's for analytical, spreadsheet oriented, left brained people. So if that describes you, then you know once you go to glennlivingston.com and you sign up for the free audios, I would really encourage you to. Um, to take a take a membership in the club and see what we have to offer because it goes into much more detail step by step in a systematic way about what we're we're describing here. Um, and if you're a right brain creative type, then I'd encourage you to stay away because you're going to be unhappy and you're probably going to refund. <laughs> okay. uh, you're welcome to try it, and I'll refund you anyway. But but um, I'm telling you, right, right brain creative types are not happy with that. So it's all kind of advanced scientific type marketing stuff. Yeah, I mean, no, it's it's not calculus. It's just adds, divides, and multiplies and subtracts, you know. But but it's it's a lot of details. It's, it's yeah. putting everything in a spreadsheet and thinking it through analytically, and um, you know, not only isolating the competitor but quantifying how much better they're doing and really developing the confidence that this is the one you should be studying, and um, you know, and then prioritizing which benefits are more motivating than the others. And um, there's a, there are a lot of simple spreadsheets, but you know, you you have to do the work to put the details in and some people don't like to do that. Well, thank you. That sounds uh, absolutely brilliant. And I think we'll uh, wrap things up there, Glenn. Thanks to everyone who joined us and a big thanks to you, Glenn, for coming on the show. Thanks, Joseph. It was a lot of fun. I enjoyed it. The online marketing show. Every day with Joseph Bushnell, helping you to grow your online business by driving more traffic, improving conversion rates, increasing customer value, and getting things done fast. Listen, take action, make money.